The Bible is a book full of unsolved mysteries. Are you looking to finally make sense of it all? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Zig Ziglar once said, The foundation stones for a balanced success are honesty, character, integrity, faith, love, and loyalty. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. Talk to us anytime with your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all of our social media channels. Make sure to continue your Bible study after today's episode with our comprehensive Siku Rewind show notes, where we visually and contextually map out this episode's content. Always available on our website and our Insider Weekly Newsletter. Plus, make sure to check out our YouTube channel for new videos every week featuring the CQ Kids series, our Moments That Matter series, CQ Bible 101, and much more at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So lots to check out. All starts with ChristianQuestions.com. Jonathan, what's the subject for today? Well, Rick, our question is, what happened at the Last Supper? And our theme text is found in John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the question again, what happened at the Last Supper? What comes to mind when we think about the Last Supper? Perhaps you envision the famous Leonardo da Vinci painting, which captures the moment Jesus revealed there was a traitor in their midst. Maybe you focus on Jesus helping his apostles to prepare for the trauma of his coming crucifixion. Perhaps you dwell on Jesus washing his followers' feet, or maybe it comes down to the simple ritual he asked them to keep in remembrance of him. The fact is, the events of those few hours give us a profoundly deep glimpse into the heart and mind of Jesus and his overwhelming loyalty to those who followed him. So folks, coming up in today's podcast, how often do you think you really know a story until somebody retells it? You listen and you hear the details and think, wait a minute, where did that come from? How did I miss that? Well, today, as we retell the story of the Last Supper and the events before and after it, we're looking for that, I never knew that, reaction. In our first segment, the very first words of the story carry a powerful insight that is always overlooked. Our second segment covers Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and here again, subtle details jump out that deepen the meaning. We then uncover in our third segment how Jesus revealed the treachery of Judas. It is really amazing to see what he said and did to not only identify the betrayal, but to prepare everyone else for it as well. And next comes Jesus introducing the memorial, the bread in the cup, to his followers. The stark simplicity and the weight of his words and actions are here are thoroughly inspirational. And finally, in our last segment, we walk with Jesus and his disciples as they make their way toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of the details of what happened here were new and utterly surprising to me. 
surprising to you. Yes. Looking forward to that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rick, you know, as usual, with any biblical account, there are details buried within the story telling of the four Gospels that make these events come alive on a level that we often overlook. So that's what we want to do, Jonathan. We want to go through these four Gospels, the combined account of the Last Supper and the events just before and after. And we're going to base them on the four Gospels. Jonathan, just give us the the Gospel and the chapter and verses we're going to be using throughout this podcast uh, in, in comparison. Sure. Matthew, it would be chapter 26, 17 through 35. Mark, it will be chapter 14, 12 through 31. Luke, it'll be chapter 22, 7 through 38, and John, chapter 13, 1 through 38. So it's important, folks, to understand that harmonizing these accounts is challenging. It's challenging because they are contradictory in the order of events. So, you you know, for those who may be biblical skeptics, they go, aha, it's contradictory. No, it's contradictory in the order of events. To solve the issue... What we did is go through these events, and we chose to use the Gospel of Matthew and John as our timeline basis. And Jonathan, why why those two Gospels? Well, Rick, these two accounts were written by two of the apostles who were there that night. Okay, so being there, and they put things in order, and they they agree. You think, okay, that that's something pretty pretty significant. What else about these two? Well, also, Rick, these two accounts have specific timestamps within them, which help put things in order. So, in other words, they give you a sense of immediately after thus and so happened, and then they did. And so you get this 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 orderly approach with Matthew and John. What about the Gospel of Mark? Well, this is interesting, Rick. The Gospel of Mark is nearly identical to Matthew, except for a few details. So Mark kind of follows along, and Mark's Gospel is very much built upon the Gospel of Matthew, except Mark really focuses on a lot more on the actions of Jesus rather than the the sayings of Jesus. That's why Mark is a shorter book, because it's a lot of action, you know, saying, and he did these things, rather than, you know, enumerating many of the things that he said. So now we haven't touched on the Gospel of Luke. What about that one? Well, this is interesting. The Gospel of Luke is a detailed report written afterwards by a third party. All that it contains is true and authentic. There are just a few things that are out of order. Okay. And so we're looking at Luke as saying the Gospel of Luke is out of order with this. And it's interesting, Jonathan, I don't know the answer to why, but I have a a conjecture, you know, an opinion on it. And I really think that Luke recorded things in order of what he saw as important. And we're not going to get into all of that, but just kind of a sidelight that Luke, because he puts the memorial service, if you will, first, after they set up, it's like you're right there. And then he goes on with a lot of the things that Jesus said. I think he put that first because I, it was most important. That's a Rick opinion. That's all it is. <laughs> and and what's, what's the last point here? Well, we have attempted to include every thought from all four Gospels in this combined account. So when we go through the Scriptures, there's going to be a lot of Scriptures. It's going to be in story form. We're not going to necessarily tell you which Gospel we're reading from because we're going to be going back and forth. You know, one sentence can have two or three different Gospels in it because we're trying to capture every single thought as we go through this. So, uh, and, and, you know, seek your rewind, the show notes, Jonathan, all of it is going to be laid out there. So if you're not a subscriber, if you, if you don't, 
Get it at ChristianQuestions.com. You know, Definitely on this program. Yeah, yeah, it really, really helps. So let's get started. There are actually nine major points that we're going to go through in this discussion of this Last Supper and the events before and after. Point number one is preparation. And again, we'll be starting with John chapter 13, and we'll be touching on the other Gospels as we go. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, now, we always read those verses and like, okay, this is getting a start in the story. Let's get moving. And no, 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 let's not get moving. Let's stop here for a second. Because Jesus knew the timing and therefore likely would have looked and planned ahead for what was needed to be done. Because in John 13, 1, it says, before the feast of the Passover, knowing that his hour had come. And that gives you a sense, Jonathan, of his of, of, of the depth of his mind. He knew that his hour had come, and he was visualizing the things that needed to happen and things that needed to be put in place ahead of time. Well, Rick, these were his final days. Yeah. He wanted to get it right to honor his father. And the fact that he knew that his hour had come, he only knew because scriptures were being fulfilled. You know, so he is. He's honoring his father and saying, okay, how can I best do that part? How can I best do this? So it gives you just those few words, knowing his hour had come. It, it just fills you with this awe of, wow, he is on top of things in a way um, that, that I just never, never noticed before. So as they begin the process of getting ready, we're going to now begin with Mark chapter 14, verse 12, and then we're going to jump into Luke in the middle. On the first day of the unleavened bread, when the Passover lambs were being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat it. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters, and you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large, furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So, Jonathan, it's it's interesting. They left and they found this man carrying a pitcher of water, which incidentally in those days was pretty much woman's work. Oh, that's a good point. So he would have stood out. Okay, I think he would have stood out. But it's... That was a miracle, right? <laughs> for, for these two disciples, they had to look for the man with the pitcher of water. That, that's fascinating. It me. is, it is. You know, but but I, I'm convinced that Jesus had talked to the homeowner and asked ahead of time, and put it in order, so that at the proper time, he said, I will send my, my, my disciples uh, to, to make arrangements. And so this, this homeowner, once he, they walk into the house, is like, okay, yeah, here's the room. It's all set. It didn't miraculously get all set. Jesus, I really truly believe, set it up that way, so that when the time came, things could be in order, and according to Scripture. And I think that's just a marvelous, marvelous opening to this story of the Last Supper. So what's our Passover preparation observation for Jesus at this point? 
Jesus' loyalty to God's timing and his followers is plainly observable in the clarity and detail of his foresight. What better proactive leadership could there be? He looked ahead, he planned ahead, so that his disciples could have everything they would need in the order that they would need it. How wonderful is that? Look, we are just getting started with the story, and already I feel this sense of awe at how Jesus cares for us. So Jesus was prepared ahead. Did he know everything that was going to happen beforehand? Rick and Jonathan have been friends for decades and co-workers on this weekly podcast for just about that same length of time. Since they know each other so well, sometimes Jonathan has to rein Rick in because, let's face it, Rick can start an in-depth analysis at a moment's notice with all those facts stored in his head. So thank you, Jonathan, for keeping Rick in check when you add your comments to help us understand on a non-professor level. And don't shy away to ask Rick and Jonathan a question. They love answering all of them at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. What's next, gentlemen? You know, it's important to state that Jesus didn't know all the details that would unfold. What he did know, though, was the timing of the major events of that evening and the next day. He knew these things because he knew the Old Testament. What we will see is Jesus responding to needs as they arise, and that in itself is a source of enormous learning for us. So, Jonathan, he did, he did know an awful lot about what was going to happen, but he didn't know in many cases, what, how, and when. And, and, and he, it's, it's an incredible observation to watch him just adjust as the events unfold and take every single little thing that happens and make it of the most incredible meaning you can imagine. And doing it in such a loving and kind way. I think we'll see that thread as we go along. Yeah, yeah. You, and and you, you, see, you see an incredible sense of direction with, with Jesus. So first was preparation. And our second point in looking at all of this is what we call humility personified. And what happens in this portion? Well, the reason why, Rick, the master washes his disciples' feet. Okay. And everybody is familiar with that account. We're going to want to go through it and just take a look at the details and just pick out a few things that maybe sometimes get a little bit lost in, 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 in the bigger picture. But first, Jonathan, we want to go to one verse of a song. It's called, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. This comes from our friends, the Skit Guys. And, you know, this, we're going to come back to a couple more verses throughout the podcast. But it just gives you this sense of being able to trust in Jesus and being able to just sort of exhale and relax because you have security when you trust in Jesus.
It's such a wonderful thing to trust in Jesus. You know, just to take him at his word. And we're going to hear a lot of his words as we go through this story. And truly inspirational and wise and godly and, and driven by only giving glory to God. So as we go to the feet washing episode, uh, we're going to be beginning with Mark, and we're going to go to Luke and John as we go through this particular part of the story. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. He reclined at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Okay, so, you know, we've got this little bit of an introduction, and um, he's just, he's, He's in a, in a place of, okay, I have longed for this time. And that, that's an important point to begin with. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in just a moment. Let's continue with John. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. So here's the thing. You know, it's interesting Jesus shows us this anticipation for being with them. I have earnestly desired to be with you before I suffer. He knows he's going to suffer, and he knows this is his last opportunity for fellowship with those who are most important to him. John tells us that already Judas is is going off the rails. But it's interesting. John reminds us of what's in the mind of Jesus— and, you know, he noticed that before the meal. Jesus noticed that before their meal together, no one thought to serve the others by washing their feet. They all saw themselves as too important to stoop so low. And this was a golden lesson opportunity. And so that's what he's about to do. But it's interesting in John, the John verse you read, Jonathan, in verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, John is saying to us, this is what the Master was thinking. And that's an incredible insight, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, knowing that he was now fully responsible for everything. He is looking for every opportunity to bring his Father glory. It's a, it's a cool thing. So he's got this golden opportunity here. And Rick, that's, that's the closeness from his heart that he is to his disciples such loyalty and compassion. He, he wanted to give him everything. Yes, yeah, and, and, and that's such an important part of this thing as he did. He wanted to give them absolutely, positively everything so that they could be as ready as possible. So let's pick up again with John 13. Now we're going to go verses 4 through 10. We'll be stopping along the way. He got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he had girded. Okay, so now it's interesting. Judas is still there waiting for his opportunity to leave, but he is systematically going around the room washing everybody's feet. And so, again, Judas is there. He's got something else on his mind, but Jesus has got a very profound lesson on his mind, and he doesn't skip over Judas. 
He washes everybody's feet. And now what happens next? So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Okay, so Peter, being Peter, (laughs) boldly (laughs) proclaims the impropriety of Jesus washing his feet. You know, you think about that and you think, huh, why then didn't Peter wash Jesus' feet? Oh, that would have been a good thing. Well, you know, you think about it, and it's of course it's easy for us to look at that and say, well, why didn't he do that? Well, you're there with the other apostles, and this is a very, very special evening, and you're, you're together, and you're like, well, you know, here we are. We're all kind of on an equal plane. So it maybe did not enter into Peter's mind until Jesus started being the servant of the group. And then he's thinking, wait, you can't be my servant because that is, that's the, the job for the lowest person in the room. And so it's interesting that because Jesus opens the door to the thought, Peter reacts to the thought. Okay, you never will you wash my feet. What happens? Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> so we can easily see Peter's desire to comply with Jesus. And his devotion, see, and this is the beautiful thing. His devotion is apparent. It is pure. It is just, he wants to be whatever Jesus would have him to be. But what's it missing, Jonathan? Uh, Rick, it's missing maturity, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's not mature. And Jesus knows he's not mature yet. But Jesus isn't going to scold him. He isn't going to say, oh, grow up, will you please? He gently carries him through this next part of the experience. Let's go back to the verses. Jesus said to him, He who has been bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So Jesus begins to show them that not all is well among them. There's something that's wrong. And this is kind of an odd statement. He's serving all of them. And then he says, but not all of you are clean. So this this is like, wait a minute. This doesn't seem to fit the mood that we're in here. You know, <laughs> this is contrary. But it's interesting how he took what Peter said and then led it off to a point that he had to make without scolding Peter and making right. him feel bad. Yeah. He says, so you're clean. But not all of you. So you're right. He takes Peter's immaturity and his desire, and he turns it into the next important lesson. And again, this is what he continually does throughout this entire evening. Let's just pause here for a quick quote from John Keegan. Soldiers, when committed to a task, cannot compromise. It's unrelenting devotion to the standards of duty and courage, absolute loyalty to others, not letting the task go until it's been done. And, you know, I always think about us as Christian soldiers. And, and folks, if you've ever gotten an email from me, that's how I always sign my emails, your fellow soldier in Christ. And you can't be a compromising individual when you're a soldier. You have to have this devotion, unrelenting devotion and absolute loyalty. And Jonathan, we're going to see that word 
loyalty come up again and again and again through these lessons because that's what Jesus is. He is loyal to his father, his father's plan, and to those whom he loves. And it's incredible the depth of his loyalty in all three of those areas. So we've gone through the actual feet washing. Our third point is the humility lesson of the feet washing. And, and what, what, what happens here? Well, Jesus makes sure they understand his actions. He wants to be clear that they get the point. So it wasn't enough to do it. No. He needed to explain what he did. And we get that explanation for John uh, 13, verses 12 to 20. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who was sent greater than the one who sent him. So this is a profound lesson. If I have, I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you therefore ought to wash one another's feet. There is now no longer any excuse for you not to be serving one another. And here it is, Jesus, the man who will be shortly taken and tortured and humiliated and then crucified unflinchingly leads his followers through one of the most profound lessons of their lives. They must serve in the way he was showing them he served them. You don't get more, more, more powerful in a lesson than that. And I love how he, he explained it. He kind of tied it in a bow. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Yeah, yeah. Actions speak louder than knowledge. If you know these things, wonderful. But blessed are you if you do them. Now, Jesus, after serving all, all, including Judas, speaks more plainly about the treachery. He mentioned it, and now he's going through and explaining the value of being serving, uh, of that servant attitude toward one another. And now he uh, goes and explains about this treachery that is among them, uh, verses 18 through 20 of John chapter 13. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I sent receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So now Jesus lets them know that he knows. He lets them know that he knows that there, there's something wrong in this, in this environment. And so why is he announcing it to the group? He's providing them a source of comfort so that they, that they can carry with them because this night is just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And Rick, you mentioned uh, early on in the podcast that Jesus knew that Old Testament. Yes. He, he saw the prophecies and he knew what needed to be fulfilled. And the prophecy here was found in uh, Psalm 41, verse 19. He who eats my bread 
has lifted up his heel against me. Yeah, actually, it's Psalm 41, verse 9. Oh, I'm sorry. But that's okay. We're, we're there. But see, and, and here's the thing, Jonathan. The, the really important thing about this is that Jesus doesn't give them this prediction like, oh, and by the way, wait a minute, it's coming to me. One of you will betray me. He tells them what's going to happen, and the reason he gives them is because God's word has revealed it to me. So he's giving the credit to God in the prophetic words of the Old Testament, saying, God has prepared us for this moment, and here's what God has said will happen. So he's not taking any glory or anything upon himself. He is simply being the conduit of God's word, loyalty to his Father. You can't get better than that. And Rick, you're really explaining what humility looks like at the same time. Yes. As loyalty is yeah. working, there's humility at, at work. Yeah, and, and, and let's go to our humility observation for this segment. Loyalty flourishes when humility reigns. Jesus came to serve and sacrifice on behalf of others and stopped at nothing to pass on that God-honoring legacy. Loyalty flourishes where humility reigns. And Jesus was the clearest example of that loyalty and that humility working together. In the midst of such humble service, Jesus is moving and thinking ahead. He knew just what they needed. Humility in service is the needed foundation. But how do you prepare yourselves and others for treachery? Do you feel disconnected at your local church? Are you struggling to find a good church or a pastor you like in your local area? We hope you're finding our podcast helpful as you take the next steps in your Christian walk. We're not here to replace the brick-and-mortar ministry, but Christian questions can be considered as the new way to think about church because we're cutting through all the online commentary noise with a deep dive into traditional scriptures and how they apply in today's seemingly untraditional world. Thanks for listening at ChristianQuestions.com through our app and your favorite podcast channels. Keep your great comments coming. We always welcome your feedback. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan as we go deeper in our discussion. You know, teaching your closest followers humility is a tough enough lesson. Teaching them to be ready for treachery and for trauma on an entirely different level. These are things that seem so far out of our expected reality that ignoring and denying them is natural and even comfortable. Jesus would now have to be even more vigilant. He knew, he knew, Jonathan, that going down this road with them was not going to be an easy thing. And it was bordered on impossible to get them to be able to absorb all of what was going to happen because it was so completely contrary to everything they had experienced. Another quote on loyalty, this one from Woodrow Wilson. Loyalty means nothing unless it has at its heart the absolute principle of self-sacrifice. And when you read that quote, Jonathan, there's one person that comes to mind, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, Jesus is such an incredible example of the principle of self-sacrifice for the good of others in accordance with the will of his Father. So point number four on our journey through the Last Supper evening. And this is, Jonathan, this, this is one of the surprises for me. It's surprised me how detailed the revealment of the betrayer was. And so that's our fourth point. The betrayer is revealed, and he's actually revealed in, in five simple little steps. What, what is the first of these five steps? Well, Rick, you prepare others for betrayal by informing them it will happen. Okay. Jesus was there to prepare 
those with him. So again, we're reading from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all combined. Uh, we're bouncing back and forth between the Gospels. We're going to start this portion of revealing the betrayer with John 13. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit. As they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine own on the table. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. All right, so he says, you know, they're, they're, they're having their meal. They've had their feet washed by Jesus. They've already seen a very powerful, potent lesson. And now he's saying, one of you is going to betray me, and his hand is on the table with me. So he's saying, he's right here, right in the midst of us. Their response is they were deeply grieved. Sorrow at such an announcement brings the reaction of kind of like a fearful wonder. Could it be me? No way. I mean, it couldn't be me. Could it be me? Notice in the verse it says, being, deep, be, being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him. Okay? It says they began to ask. It implies that everybody didn't quite get around to finishing because it would have said they all asked. Good point. I uh, never thought of it that way. <laughs> they began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Judas does ask. But not now. I don't think Judas spoke up at this point. And again, we don't know that. This, that's a little bit of conjecture. Oh, that's a lot of conjecture on my part. But it just seems to me, because he asks later, that he didn't ask at this, this specific moment. So now they're grieved, right? And they're asking. Oh, they are. I mean, they're the, asking, the whole mood changed. Yes. So they're asking about betrayal. Now, this is not a comfortable subject. Not at all. It's okay. like it's out of their mind that this really could happen. Wait yeah. a minute. No way. So human nature, when we get onto things that we don't like so much, we try to find ways to get off of it. So let's read now from Luke 22, verses 23, uh, uh, 23 and 24. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. So wait, that's kind of weird, huh? How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. Look, sometimes the grief we feel can be easily put aside by going the opposite direction. And that, that's the opposite. I yeah. mean, that is as opposite as you can get. Well, right? you know what? But that's a much safer place to go if you're feeling the pressure of, wait, somebody's going to betray Jesus right here and right now. What are you kidding? Can't be me. I'm going to be with them. And you're going to be with them too. I'll probably be doing better than you, but we're all going to be with them together. You know, and, and so they get this, this dispute about being great. So the, I wonder how great, how great I will be seen, you know, in, in Jesus' eyes. You know, now, now it becomes instead of you, you put the betrayal thing aside, I think, oh, let's think about greatness because we're all with Jesus. He trusts us. I mean, we're, we're the only ones here with them. So what does he do? Jesus patiently stops this, and yet he gives them a sense of what their faithfulness will bring them. He doesn't say, you shouldn't be talking about that, even though they I, shouldn't have been. Yeah, I just told you this announcement, and what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. No, he didn't do that. That's amazing. No. So here is where he embarks on the second step of revealing the betrayer, and that is you prepare others for betrayal by showing them the power of loyalty. This is, these are powerful verses. Go ahead. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one 
who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, uh, so what you have here is Jesus in response to their their debate about who's going to be greatest actually tells them about the glory that's before them. He doesn't say, no, you shouldn't do that. He says, all right, let me tell you what's coming. And he presents them very much on an equal basis. Very, 12 thrones granted with me to sit in my kingdom, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's a, an equality that he gives to them. And it's really fascinating that that's how he responds to it. He doesn't say, what are you guys doing? He gives them a real, legitimate, clear answer. So he gives them this encouragement, knowing full well they're soon going to be scattered. And perhaps he's thinking they need to know that all of this is not in vain. So he gives them that, that, that sense going forward. So now what's the third point um, in terms of preparing, uh, or I'm sorry, revealing the betrayer? Well, Rick, you prepare others for betrayal by plainly pointing out where it, it will come from. Okay, you point out where it's going to come from. Um, uh, let, so let's go to John thirteen twenty three to 25, because Jesus is now is going to get much more specific. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is whom he is speaking. He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? And he said to them, It is the one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So this is interesting because now he, you know, he has gone down this road of, okay, here's what loyalty brings. And it's a beautiful picture. Twelve thrones, and there's 12 of them there. And it all feels like, wow, everything's right in order. Peter, though, is thinking, yeah, but we still don't know. So he motions to John like, hey, ask him. You're sitting right next to him. Ask him who's going to be trying. Because he wants to know. And that again, that shows you the character of Peter. He doesn't want to let this go because it's serious. Even though he was probably involved in that other conversation, he's like, wait a minute, this is too serious. And so Jesus goes forward. And then Judas asks him, surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus doesn't say, yes, it is. He says, you have said it yourself. So he is just turning Judas's own words back to him. 
And in so doing, it's interesting to me, Jonathan, that he gives this revealment. And again, we're putting these scriptures together in, in an order. And, you know, there's some, there's some wiggle room, I suppose, in, in different perspectives on how, how this order is. But this, this makes sense to me. He gives them the sense of the greatness of where they're going to show them, here's what loyalty will bring you. And then he reveals the betrayer, as if to say, you had this opportunity to sit on 12 thrones, to be on one of those 12. And when Judas says, is it I? He says, you have said it yourself. And then he confirms it by giving the morsel to him. And it sounds to me like he was probably the last one which yeah. said, is it, is it I? Yeah, yeah, that's what it looks like. It really is what it looks like. And so, you know, you get this sense that the, this part of the story is complete, okay? And you think, okay, now everybody's probably going to know. Well, not quite. <laughs> What's the third step in, in, in the revealment of the betrayer? Well, the fourth step is fourth, you yes. prepare others for betrayal by accepting and embracing the inevitable uh, inevitability of the action. So Jesus knows he cannot stop it. So what does he do? He accepts it. Let's continue with the next verses. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we are need, have need of for the feast, or else that he should go give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Okay, so it says that Satan enters into him. Okay, now there's a couple of things happening. First of all, you've got Judas going down this really bad road, and you've got the rest of the apostles, like, they have no clue. <laughs> so, Even after he said it, yeah, yeah. they have no clue. Do you think John, John I think John was the, the one that loved Jesus that was laying on his bosom. Do you think John had a sense of it? You know, over anyone else, maybe? Perhaps, because he's sitting right next to him. You know, it, it's hard to say, but what we do know is that it says Satan entered him. And you look at that, and, and you say, well, what does that mean? And I don't think that means that the devil possessed him. I think what that means is, remember now, he was previously paid 30 pieces of silver to accomplish this. this uh, oh, that's right, that's right. So maybe he's, he's feeling the weight of the money, saying, I've got to go earn my money now. I've got know? a job to do. Yeah. And maybe, and, and so he's, he's avoiding... All of the talk of the beauty of loyalty, the beauty of servitude, and the beauty of being with Jesus saying, I've got something I've got to do. And so, and I think that's part of what it meant that Satan entered into him. The apostles cannot see what's happening. Jesus knows this. He knows that they can't see it. He sees that it's night. And I, and I like the way the verse says it, and it was night. It really was. That was the darkness of that moment. So Jesus knows the apostles can't understand this. And next acknowledges the glory that will be given to God because Judas leaving in the night began an unstoppable sequence of events. And that brings us to the fifth point on the betrayer being revealed. You prepare others for betrayal by expressing your unwavering confidence in God's providence, even if it must come through betrayal, abandonment, torture, and death. So you have to show that you're confident in what's going to happen. And Jonathan, these verses are absolutely stunning to me. He has just seen his betrayer get up 
And as soon, in my mind, as soon as Judas closes the door behind him to go betray him to his enemies, here's what happens. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to you and to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So, Jonathan, his first words when Jesus had gone out is, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Wow, that's loyalty to God's plan. He's about to be betrayed to suffer a night of torment and torture and false accusations and then be crucified. And his response to the betrayer leaving to get this whole process started is God is now glorified in me. That, wow, that is amazing. See, that gives us this sense of the depth of his loyalty to his father's plan. And he's telling his followers, this is the greatest thing ever because he's seeing it from the end, not from what is going to happen in the immediacy. So it just is a powerful lesson. And then he says to his followers, after he says that God is glorified now, he says, now I tell you that you need to love one another as I have loved you. You love each other the way I have loved you. And he says, that's going to be the marker for people to know who you are. And again, they have no idea what's coming. And he gets into this lesson much more later on in the evening. He does. But he introduces it and gives them a sense of this is where we are now going. So the revealment of the betrayer is just a step-by-step -step process, and Jesus is giving them every opportunity to understand it. He gave Judas every opportunity to see things for what they really were, and things are now moving forward. What's our betrayal observation for this segment? Loyalty to God's cause and to those who seek it cannot be shaken, even by the betrayal of a close friend. On the contrary, the strength of loyalty is enhanced by such trials. So that's the level that Jesus was at, where he could have his strength enhanced and be able to proclaim, God is glorified because my betrayer just left to go and, and do the work to betray me. It, it is hard to fathom the depth of the hurt that this betrayal produced, and yet Jesus remained loyal and focused. After such a dramatic scene, how did Jesus get back on track? What did he say and do to move forward? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. Actually, Jesus never got off track. He saw Judas slowly shrinking away from him and knew that the inevitability of his betrayal could not be changed. 
Once Judas left, Jesus went back to the meal and prepared for the next lesson. So that would show what Judas' actions would, by the providence of God, be turned into. So Jesus' focus is so clear that this traumatic event of Judas storming out the door in the darkness to go betray him does not set him off, doesn't get him wondering, well, what do I do now? He knows. He knows what to do next. And that's an amazing thing. Uh, Another quote here, uh, a loyalty quote from Maurice R. Franks. Loyalty cannot be blueprinted. It cannot be produced on an assembly line. In fact, it cannot be manufactured at all. For its origin is the human heart, the center of self-respect and human dignity. It is a force which leaps into being only when conditions are exactly right for it. And it is a force very sensitive to betrayal. It's a force that is sensitive to betrayal, but it is also, in Jesus' case, a force that completely overcame betrayal, completely overcame it. So now, as we go through our our journey through the uh, Last Supper and the events before and after, we now get to the most significant moment of the evening. You've had the feet washing and the conversations about who's greatest and the revealment of the betrayer and the betrayer leaving. You've had all of these things happening, but now comes the most significant thing, and that's point number five here, and that's the memorial being instituted. And, and Jonathan, what is, is that all about here? Well, Jesus does not miss a beat in giving his faithful, though weak, followers their most important experience. Okay. He is about to show them something that is completely unique in all of the things that he ever taught them. And it, 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 so he's not derailed at all. He's just moving on to the next most important thing. And again, we'll be reading from Matthew 26 uh, and Luke 22 in this small section here. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he gives them that piece of unleavened bread, and he says, I want you to eat a piece of this. And I want you to, because it represents my body, which is given for you. And, he's, and, and then he says, Jonathan, something that he never said before. Do this in remembrance of me. This is something he's giving them, this gift of remembrance to say this should bring you back to this moment whenever you you partake of this. So it's a very solemn, very powerful uh, gift and request that he's making. He's giving this powerful gift and requesting them to remember him each and every time they do this. And then he continues. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this cup, which is poured out for you, is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So he gives them this really simple little ritual. Take this bread, drink from this cup, 
because these are me. These are me. These symbols of the bread and the cup are uh, indescribably important to us. And, and let's start, let's, let's go backwards. There's only two. Let's start with the cup first because, you know, he says to, uh, to, to, to his disciples and, and therefore to us, this is my blood of the covenant, of the promise, which is poured out. I am about to pour out my blood for the forgiveness of sins. So this is a really important symbol that I want you to have. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, helps us to see it um, in, in, a, in a really powerful way. The cup of blessing, which we bless, doesn't it mean, does it not mean a joint participation in the blood of Christ? So when you think about a joint participation in the blood of Christ— there's several things that come to mind. First, there's the sense that we are recipients together of the blood of Christ. We get to be a part of that which the blood paid for. And I think that helps us to remember, remember, Jonathan, the original Passover, when the blood of the lamb was, 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 was put on the doorposts, who were the ones that were protected from death? Only the firstborn, because they were the only ones that were had a threat on their lives. And so it was just the firstborn. And because of the deliverance of the firstborn, everybody else was delivered. That's right. And there's a scripture that talks about us, and it calls us the church of the firstborn. So the idea is that we get to be part of that first phase of deliverance by which everybody else gets delivered. And another part, Rick, is we get to share with our Lord through the, the, the suffering, the disgrace, the shame, the ignominy in our Christian walks. We participate with him and we're willing to because we love him so much. Yes, and, and that's the calling. And Jesus is saying to them, you know, um, earlier in, in his ministry, uh, when two of his disciples were were talking about, well, you know, kind of remember the the, the sons of Zebedee, the, the mother comes up and says, "Can one of my sons sit on your right hand and the other sit on your left, please, in your kingdom?" You know, and he says, "Look, you know, can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of?" And they said, "Yes." He said, "Well, you will, you will." He promised them suffering. He did, and that's part of what you said. What we get to be participators in. So the, this cup symbolizes the shed blood of Jesus. Now, his shed blood is different than ours because his has value, ours does not. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we, by God's grace, are sharers and recipients of it. And First Peter 1, 18 and 19 also goes right along these lines. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And again, you cannot mistake the references to the original Passover. The Passover showed us the sacrifice of Jesus. It just needs to be understood in its proper context. Let's just dwell on this for a moment. Let's go back to another verse of that hymn, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus from our friends, uh, the Skit Guys." Trust him. 
life and rest and joy and peace, but there's a lot of suffering to get there. You know, and we have to be willing to go through those things to be able to stand up with him and for him. And that's what Jesus was giving them when he gave them those emblems. He said, I'm doing this for you. You therefore need to do this for one another and therefore follow me. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, as we now talk about the bread, the, the unleavened bread portion of this memorial. The loaf of bread which we break, does it not mean a joint participation in the body of Christ? Since there is one loaf, we are so many, uh, are, one mem- are one body. We, all of us, share in that one loaf. Look at the Israelites, the nation and the ritual, are not those who eat the sacrifices joint partakers in the altar. So it really, I, I like that last portion where it says, look at the nation of Israel. Don't they partake together in the sacrifice that's given, that one sacrifice on the altar? Doesn't that help all of them? And Absolutely. That, and, that, and that's what this unleavened bread is. The, the unleavened bread that Jesus gave his followers to eat represents his broken body, the obedience even unto death of his earthly mission. So you have the blood poured out. That was the, that was the, the, the end result of the sacrifice. But the daily faithfulness is shown in that broken body. And Rick, the unleavened bread, as we know, represents purity, uh, sinlessness, because Jesus was perfect. But we... We're, we're not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you figured that out, did you? <laughs> we need to be covered yeah. to be yeah. acceptable. But because of that Christ's robe of righteousness, we are justified uh, in the sight of, of God. And, and you know, that, that's the beautiful part of this. It, it, whatever we have to offer is by the grace of God through Christ, period. That's the only place we ever gain value by the grace of God through Christ. Amen. But Jesus says, you can be a part of this with me. I am laying down my life for you. I have lived the last three and a half years in complete obedience to the will of God, and I'm showing you the way, and now I'm going to be handing the way off to you so that you can follow in my footsteps. And Jesus did have to learn. Hebrews 5.8 tells us that. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. He learned obedience through his experiences. He learned to put his own will aside and do the will of God, which was higher. He had choices, and he had to make the appropriate choices all along the way. And this is, again, a great example for us. So we have this memorial, which is the the, the pinnacle of these particular experiences, because he is just giving them this, this ability to understand what he's doing for them. And what we love, Rick, about this, this is the anniversary yeah. of Christ's memorial. That, that special once-a-year time, based on the Jewish calendar, the cycles of the moon, tells us exactly when we should honor God and be so thankful for Jesus' sacrifice. Yeah, and, and, and it's really important. And, and we really believe that this should be a once-a-year thing because yes. it's on the anniversary of the Passover. And because the Passover was once a year, and Jesus died as the Passover lamb, really think it's appropriate to keep that in that once-a-year perspective. Every, everybody doesn't see it that way, but that's how it, it, it affects us. So now here's the thing, Jonathan. They do this. They, they, they partake of this simple, eloquent, profound service 
And then we already read it, but let's read it again. Matthew 26, 30. What do they do next? After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They sang a hymn together, and they left that upper room. And they would never again be together in, 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 a, in, a, in a home. That was the end. So everything now that happened was an ending. And now on their way to the Mount of Olives, on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, there's several things that are going to occur. We're not going to be able to touch all of them, but we will touch a few. But so let's just sum up the memorial symbols observation for this segment. By giving us these symbols, Jesus is helping us appreciate and emulate his loyalty to God's plan, even unto death, so that all may have opportunity for life. He's helping us appreciate and emulate what? His loyalty to God's plan, God's way. That's what we should be made of in our own lives. So Jesus has walked his disciples through the harshness of deceit to the holiness of his sacrifice. Now Jesus brings his followers to the next step, the point of no return. What is his loyalty message now? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. You know, Jesus was ever conscious conscious of the frailty of those who loved and followed him and did everything in his power to guide, inform, and prepare them. Even at this late hour of his life, his chief concern is their well-being. Never, ever was there a better example of love, sacrifice, devotion, and support. That is loyalty. That is what he showed us on this night this incredible loyalty. And Jonathan, it is breathtaking to me how much time and effort he spent on encouraging those around him when he was the one who was going to be tried and he was the one who was going to suffer. What a master. What a teacher. What a friend. Right. And, and, and he's the one we're supposed to learn from. Another quote from Bryant H. McGill. Within the hearts of men, loyalty and consideration are esteemed greater than success. Loyalty and consideration are greater than success. And Jesus is showing us that. Uh, Jonathan, just very quickly before we get to this walking to Gethsemane, uh, Trish handed me a note and she says, you know, you've got the scripture uh, where Jesus says, come unto me all you who are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yet we're talking about suffering. It's like, well, what kind of rest is that? (laughs) You know, and that's that's an important question. And, And the point is that we are able to rest in Jesus because the providence of God will carry us through the hardships of our lives. Now, the hardships of a Christian life are not going to be easier because we follow Jesus. They may be, they actually may be harder, but they will be meaningful and they will be used to teach us how to grow in him. And the world, where's their hope? Where's their direction? They don't have one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's in self, and if things go wrong, they crumble. So we have this rock to hold on to when we go through difficult experiences. And that's the rest that we can gain. 
So it is a it it it's it's sometimes hard to find. But it's interesting that she wrote that question and brought it up as we go into this particular segment, because now we're going to focus on the Apostle Peter again. And he is a great example of learning, of learning how to grow up and mature to get to that rest. He wasn't there at this point, as we will soon find out. So they're walking toward Gethsemane. That's the sixth point here. And what happens, there's actually, in this walk to Gethsemane, there's three different things, three different points we want to focus on. What's the first one? Jesus' warning, and Peter's first claim of loyalty. Okay, so we're going to go to, Jesus is going to put out a warning. Now they're walking, you know, there's the, there's you've got the full moon, they're walking probably by moonlight, they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're talking, and here's what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Okay, so there's two things here. Jesus announces to them. Now remember, we talked about the betrayer before. Okay? Yes. Now he announces, by the way, you're all going to be scattered. I know this. I'm not making a prediction. I am quoting a prophecy. I am speaking the word of God to you, so this will happen. And and so he, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. And that fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah 13, verse 7. Yes. So he, like you said before, Jesus knew his Old Testament. Oh, and, he did. And he knew that these things would happen. So he says, you know, it's going to be get, get a little crazy. I'm obviously paraphrasing. I'm, I'm going to be raised, and I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee. And it's like, wait, wait, all this stuff is happening. And Peter pipes up and says, wait, 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 wait. Everybody might fall away, but I'm not falling away. Uh-uh. I am staying right with you. And isn't that Peter's heart? Oh, it is. It is. It, he is so determined to be so faithful under any condition whatsoever. And it's interesting that you introduced this little piece as Peter's first claim of loyalty. So let's go now to the second piece. They're still walking. It's still They're still having the same conversation on the walk to Gethsemane. And he just said to them, you're all going to fall away. But Peter said, no, 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 everybody but me. And what, 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 what happens here? Well, Jesus' powerful encouragement uh, leads us to Peter's second claim of loyalty. Okay. Go ahead. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has determined permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail you. When once you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. I am ready to go both to prison and to death. So this is this is powerful because Jesus said everybody's going to fall away, and uh, and Peter he's ever inquisitive. Well, where are you going? What is this? Because earlier Jesus said I'm going somewhere you can't follow, and Peter's like bringing that back. And I think in relation to you know after you've been raised you're going to go ahead. Well, how come I'm not going to be with you? Where are you going? What's happening here? I don't understand. And so and so. Jesus tells him something really amazing. 
He said, Satan demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Satan wants you. And what, what's Jesus' response to that? But I have prayed for you. Not I'm going to pray for you. Not I know that I'll be praying for you later. But I've already brought it before the Father for your, for your protection. And he says to him, he kind of prophesies, he says that your faith won't fail. And when you once have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And that reminds me of feed my sheep, yes. tend my lambs. You know, do the work that, that I told you to do, strengthen the brethren. But in the meantime, Peter is for a second time claiming his loyalty, and now he's much more specific. And you already read it. I'm going to go to, I'll go to prison. I'll go to death with you. I will not be separated from you. So he's showing his love and devotion for, for, for Jesus. And Jesus, I'm sure, is lovingly accepting it, knowing full well that this is not going to be what's going to happen. So Jesus finally tells him. And that brings us to our eighth point in walking to Gethsemane. And what is it? Jesus speaks hard truth. And Peter responds with a third claim of loyalty. Three times he claims loyalty on this walk toward the Garden of Gethsemane. I never knew that before. Never put it in order, never realized there were these three times. So let's read this third, third, third piece. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. So Jesus, when Peter last time got very specific about saying, I'll go to prison and to death with you and for you, Jesus says, will you really lay down your life for me? I'm telling you now that this night you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, he doesn't just say, no, I'm not. The scripture says Peter kept saying insistently. So he's repeating himself in this third claim of loyalty. I will die with you. I won't deny you. I won't deny you. I'm telling you, I won't deny you. And that's very Peter-like. It is. And I mean, Jesus, he was basically saying, here's what's going to happen, and here is why he knew it. I mean, that he's giving them facts, and <sighs> they're not getting it. And that's what human nature is, is like. We may see the, the difficulty, but we think of ourselves, and we know what our heart wants. And, you know, Peter's heart wanted to be with his Lord. Of course. And, and, and of you, course. you cannot minimize that piece. He wanted to be with his Lord. He wanted to be standing by him. He wanted to support him. But he was just not mature enough to be able to do so. Not yet. So three times Peter proclaimed loyalty. And it's so interesting to me that he denied Jesus three times. And then that Jesus reinstated him three times. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and incidentally, way back when Peter was called to follow Jesus, it was on three different occasions. Wow, and the third, that is interesting. So you've got this process with Peter that is brought out very, very powerfully here in this simple process of walking from one place to another. And Jesus is just teaching him as they go. Let's just round this out, Jonathan. One last verse from Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus from our friends, the Skit Guys.
you know, the the idea of savior and friend. You know, and you, you mentioned that Jesus. You know, what a friend. What a savior. What an example. What a Messiah. What a centerpiece of God's entire plan. And we have this incredible privilege of having him with us. You know, go back to that scripture that Trish had mentioned in her note before. You know, uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We are yoke fellows with Jesus. You know, and you're, you're in that yoke and he's on the other side of it. Yeah, he helps us. He walks us through the difficulties. So, Jonathan, as we wrap this podcast up for today, the last point is going to be point number nine, preparation for a new reality. Jesus now needed to tell his followers that their life for now was going to be completely backwards, inside out, and upside down. It would not be recognizable. So you can see through this whole process how he's just preparing them over and over and over again for the things that are about to happen. And we'll take these, uh, the, this lesson from Luke twenty-two thirty-five to 38. And he said to them, when I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lock anything, did you? They said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. He said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So he's preparing them. And, you know, when would Jesus ever say, hey, don't forget to bring a weapon? (laughs) (laughs) Never. (laughs) You know, but life was about to turn upside down. When would he ever say, make sure you have money on you? (laughs) You know, he is is giving them a sense that their life is going to get difficult. You know, life is going to be costly and life is going to be a fight. Now, and it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And so, so he's giving them this sense of preparedness that they would have never been able to have before. And I think that's significant as he is, is as he's about to, to leave off with them here. Um, so Jonathan, let's, let's begin to wrap up. Let's go to our leadership in the face of turmoil observation. And again, this is a great example of what Jesus is uh, and, uh, for us. Jesus is unflinching in his loyalty to truth and God's will. His will, his endurance, and his strength will now be severely tested, and he will overcome. So everything that we have seen has just has been put in perspective to understand the power of this night and the power of these experiences, and they're profound and they're deep. Now, I just want to, I want to diverge for a second because, folks, you know, this is such an important lesson that it really needs to be taught on a lot of levels. And just want to let you know that we have a two-part CQ Kids video called What Happened at the Last Supper that goes over some of these lessons for kids. And what a great way to give them the opportunity to begin the basic understanding of these things. Now, we've gone through them on a very deep level that gives your children or the children in your Sunday school or, what, or whomever the opportunity to just see the basics because you'll learn the profound depth by getting the basics first. So we really would love for you to avail yourself uh, of those videos. You can go to christianquestions.com or, or um, uh, christianquestions.com slash YouTube to, to find the video series CQ Kids. 
Uh, and also, just in terms of the, the uh, Seeker Rewind, the show notes for this, we covered lots of combinations of the Gospels, and it's all written out for you in the show notes so you can get a sense of how it all works. So, Jonathan, as we wrap this up, leadership in the face of turmoil. Jesus put himself in a position to be able to really, truly walk them through. Now they were scattered, they were afraid, everything turned upside down. Jesus knew it would, but it didn't stop him from preparing them. What a Savior. Amen. How loyal to his Father's will. Folks, look, as we wrap this up, I hope that you can see what we have talked about and what we have felt as we've gone through this Last Supper experience, looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, looked down upon the shame, and now is glorified. His example is one that we can take and apply to every difficult experience of our lives so that we can draw strength and courage and fortitude and vision and loyalty to walk in his footsteps. That's what the Last Supper night was all about. Think about it. Listen, folks, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we're talking about what can we learn from Jesus' final prayers. So we're kind of going to be picking up on what we talked about tonight and go a little bit further. What profound lessons are in those prayers? Talk to you next week.